Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 47th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh Anthony back with you guys today. Recapping Carolina's 94-83 win last night at the College of Charleston. The Tar Heels overcame an 11-point first-half deficit on their way to a 11-point win in a hostile TD arena down in the uh, the low country that is Charleston, South Carolina. They were led by um, 24 points, a career high from Armando Baycott. We're going to look at the box score, give our stat of the game, quote of the game, and, of course, give our takeaways later in the game. But, buddy... There's a reason why Roy Williams scheduled these types of games. They they have value. And not saying that Hubert Davis didn't value them to say that now that he's the head coach. But I think for him last night, he learned the value of playing these types of games because you can't simulate that environment, that crowd in practice. They're not going to face another uh, – environment like that in the non-conference season because the rest of the their, their, their high-profile games are either at home or on a neutral building, but that gets you prepared for what the ACC is going to feel like when you got to play in 10 different ACC environments later this season. I mean, honestly, that's going to be better than some of the ACC environments that you go to. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Uh, there's a chance that that's a better environment than Wake Forest. Uh, Clemson, I know you play you, you play there. I mean, but yeah, I mean, legitimately, this is that that was that was a, a bigger win than I think a lot of people will probably want to give them credit for. Uh, College of Charleston is a, a heck of a team. Pat Kelsey is a great head coach. We we are both guys that think he should be at a Power Five program. Uh, based off of what he did at, at Winthrop. I, I don't understand how he's not at a Power 5 program based on what he did there. But, uh, yeah, you, you could tell. It was uh, it was weird. That, that was a game where the College of Charleston wanted to run and Carolina didn't look prepared to run with the College of Charleston. Mm-hmm. That's very rare that you're going to see that. Their environment, as you talked about, was really good, especially early on in the game. 
so yeah, that that's a tough win, especially over a team that I mean, I don't know a ton about the Colonial Athletic Conference. That looks like a very legitimate basketball team that can probably win that conference. So to go on the road to pick up that win is it is big for Carolina and it's the first time they've been in a road environment in almost two years. Yeah. And I a think- true road environment. So that's it's huge because that's something that you can't, as you said, you can't simulate that. You could oh well, you know, they had the art of the, the artificial crowd noise that they pumped into some arenas or whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not the same. This was the first time you've really faced a raucous crowd that was cheering against you fully. And I thought they, they handled it rather well, especially in the second half. The first half, you could tell they were a little bit stunned, but they did a good job of rebounding and coming back in that second half. They adjusted. Credit to the coaching staff as well for making the adjustments that needed to be made. And now that that's a good road win. That's not one that will probably be on your resume come March, but that's a very solid win early in the season. That win will be a big reason why Carolina will go play at you know, whoever they go and play at this year in the ACC, Clemson, even NC State, one of those types of games where the crowd is 100% against you and you're going to get punched in the mouth like they did. And Carolina got punched in the mouth from the get-go. They gave up 16 points in the first four minutes of the game. But they weathered the storm. They stayed true to what they wanted to do. And by the end of the game, they proved to be the better team. That's where these types of games pay dividends. Charleston's pace, they entered the game with a playing 88 possessions per game. That's the third most in the country. Yeah, and you, so, just, you could tell why. Um, yeah, right. And so, look, there was – Carolina wants to run, but Carolina isn't running at that pace, and they haven't ran at that pace really since 2009. Um, so just a lot of really good things that came out of this one. Let's take a look at the box score uh, for, for the game. Carolina, 54% shooting from the field. That's three straight games they have shot over 50% from the field. They held Charleston to just 36% shooting. That was really key um, in that second half as they were able to erase a six-point deficit. Carolina was 7 of 20 from behind the three-point line, led by Kerwin Walton, um, who made four four of six three-pointers. 35%. That's the first time they've shot under 40% from three so far this season. The College of Charleston, 37%. 11 of 30. So kind of about where Charleston needed to shoot to have a chance to pull the upset. But Carolina did a much better job in the second half, limiting them to um, 5 of 14 shooting from behind the three-point line. The free throw line was pivotal in the second half. 72% from the game. Carolina, 23 of 32 from the foul line. But 17 of 21 in that second half, they really got, got more focused at the foul line and made their foul shots. Charleston, just just 23 free throws, 16 of 23, that's 70%. But all three games, Carolina has outshot their free throw, outshot the opponent from the foul line by a considerable margin. Getting back to that whole Dean Smith, Roy Williams, we're going to take more more free throws than you're going to take, and we're going to make more free throws than, than you're going to take. And Carolina made 23 free throws. Charleston only shot 23 free throws, so that's a really big discrepancy. Turnovers were an issue. We'll talk about that later. 17 turnovers for Carolina, nine turnovers for the College of Charleston. Big thing, though, that came out of this game and really important for me, Carolina out-rebounded them by uh, double digits. It's the first time they've, they've out-rebounded an opponent by double digits this season, 49-236. Only seven offensive rebounds for Carolina, 
but they had 42 defensive rebounds. They did allow 12 offensive rebounds, but only 14 second-chance points. Charleston's bench did outscore Carolina's bench, but I think we expected that. Charleston entered the game playing 11 guys. We're playing eight. And and, and that's, right, that's, right. That, and that's stretching it when we're playing eight. Um, they outscored us on the bench 40-31. to 31. Points in the paint. Armando Baycott was really key in this. Carolina 46-32 to 32 paint points. Fast break points, 16-9 in favor of Charleston. 9-2 in favor of blocks, though, for Carolina, led by Armando Baycott, who had six of those. Steals, we mentioned the turnovers. Charleston had 12 steals last night. Carolina just four. But the assist, 19 assists compared to just 13 assists for the College of Charleston. The stat of the game, you... I asked your input. I was leaning the rebounding margin because I think that's the most important stat in basketball. You said points in the paint, 46 to 32. And look, they were, and Carolina needed every single one of those, especially in that first half. Had Armando Baycott not showed up, I don't know if Carolina wins the ball game. And he kept Carolina in the game in that first half, really by just, you know, getting positioning in the post. They, all three games, there hasn't been an opponent that can match Armando Baycott on the interior. The last two games, Carolina's really exploited the mismatches. They did that again last night. The quote of the game, usually this is going to be from Hubert Davis, but sometimes we're going to go to a player. We're going to do that to, uh, for this game. We go to Armando Baycott, who was asked about this game, being on the road, facing a double-digit deficit, all that great stuff, Mondo said. This is a game that builds character. So uh, there's your look at the box score, uh, the stat of the game, and then our quote of the game. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will give you our thoughts and takeaways from Carolina's win over the College of Charleston. The NHL season is underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Basketball, football, UFC, you name it. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Now, use the promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with the promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. One per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, guys, we are back. Hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Get over to get get over to the get over to DraftKings. Use that promo code and take a great advantage of all these great offers. There's a lot to take away from from the win last night. You got to start, and this is a two-part thing. You got to start with Leaky Black because his defense on John Meeks on, on John Meeks was it was critical. He entered the game leading them in scoring. He's their best player. 
just seven points, two of 14 shooting, 0 of 4 from the field in 26 minutes. Leaky Black has played exceptional defense in all three games. We gave you the stat in the preview that Carolina was a plus 57 with him on the court and their efficiency minus 21 with him off the court. With that being said, though, last night was maybe the best he has looked all year long because he had to do a little bit of everything. He had to he, he drew the toughest assignment, but with the foul troubles that Carolina got into in the first half with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis both getting two fouls, and let's be honest, even if they wouldn't have been in foul trouble, they didn't come out with the kind of sense of urgency you need from your backcourt. So maybe Hubert Davis would have put Leaky Black at the point guard position anyway, but Leaky Black gets thrusted into the point guard position, and I thought Carolina's offense was adequate. That could have been a time where they could have really gotten out of rhythm, gotten out of sync, and that 11-point lead could have ballooned into a 15- to 20-point lead, and all of a sudden Carolina's maybe not coming back from that. He helped steady the steady the course, kept feeding the ball inside to Armando Baycott, kept Carolina in the game. That way in the second half, they could be set up for a nice comeback. I mean, this is the reason why it was so important for him to come back to this team. And we're, we're, we're seeing his value the first three games of the season here. This is three straight games where he's probably been your best defensive player. I mean, in this one, Armando Baycott with six blocks, you could make the argument as well. But like you said, I mean, he had to cover – I mean, he was put in many different spots on the floor, uh, including, you know, point guard, as you mentioned there, having to just try to sort of steady the ship with guys that were clearly – rattled out of the gate and that was evidenced by the fouls that yep. the foul issues that they got into early on uh so yeah i mean you've really got to hand it to him he had two blocks in this game as well just just an active guy on the defensive end which is something that you is is pleasing to see because there are times especially early in that first half where guys just didn't seem interested in guarding the ball you got to remember the College of Charleston scored 19 points before the first timeout of the game. Before the first TV timeout of the game. So, you know, from that point on, Carolina looked better defensively, but I think Leaky Black is a big part of why Carolina is able to, I mean, the, the, the second half, they were so much better mm-hmm. defensively. And I think he was a really big part of that. It seems like, you know, I mean, he wasn't a guy that was demanding the basketball on the offensive end, but even his two shots were pretty big shots for Carolina. They needed to go down at the time. And he's a guy that we have definitely thrown a fair share of criticism towards during his career. But now you're seeing why he's playing a big role. There are still people that are saying, why is Kerwin Walton not playing more than him? He's your best defender right now, especially on the perimeter. You need him on the floor because, again, again last night, him along with Armando, plus 16. So he is making a huge difference when he is on the floor. If you can't realize that at this point, then you're just you're just a leaky hater. Like... Well, it's not that you're look, and I and I got I got people come after came on after me last night on Twitter because I put out a tweet. He hasn't improved since his freshman year, and I don't think that's necessarily a lie 
because his offense not on the offense. His offensive game has not taken the next step. And all I've said is, you can you can justify playing him big minutes if you're getting offensive contributions from the four guys around him. Outside of his freshman year, the last two years, that hasn't happened. But this year, you have more balanced scoring. You have right. you've had four guys score twenty points or more in a game already this season. Yeah, he fits this team and the twenty eighteen team a, a lot better than the last two years. Like these are teams that he can thrive on. The last two years, when you needed him to step up and develop his offensive game, it didn't happen. But now, see, this is the thing: we've now learned this is what Leaky Black is. Leaky is pretty much a glue guy that's going to come out and defend the basketball. It would be great if he could develop the shot and become a 3 and D guy, but that's not him. He's just a guy that's going to be out there and at this point now, he's a plus-minus guy. When he's on the floor, you're more efficient on the offensive and defensive ends. But, yeah, I mean, you've got to – there's no way with what he's done so far out of the gate this season – you can take him off the floor. And, I mean, look, he had two turnovers last night, but there were a bunch of guys that had some inexplicable turnovers. For the most part, he's not killing you in that department, which he's done the past couple of years as well. So even if he's not scoring, if he's defending at a high level and he's not turning the ball over, I'm not really going to complain that he's on the floor if he's as if they were as efficient with him on the floor as we've been. Well, I thought the big thing that really came out of it when he was running the offense, and this shows his maturity in the offense, is that he didn't force anything for his own. Mm-hmm. He literally, okay, i got to play point guard. That's fine. But I'm not going to go hunt my shot. I'm not going to look for my offense. We got Armando Baycott. Just give him the ball as much as we can. And, and, and that was a smart thing because usually guys in those situations, they get a little rattled. They get a little shot happy, and they go to they go force things. He just played. So two years ago, when he had to play point guard, do you think that Leaky Black takes that same mindset? God no, no. That's that you're seeing a guy that has grown up in the system, and is a senior that understands what it, what his role is on this team right now. Which is he is not the guy that should be sh- seeking out his shot. If it's there, take it. But it wasn't there, and at that point in the game, the smart thing was, yes, feed the ball inside to Armando Baycott because he is slicing these dudes up inside. And I, I agree with you. I think that he he did it as often as he possibly could. You probably, I mean, there were, there were moments that, you know, Armando had to look for help and didn't really find it during that time, but he did the right thing of try to get a post touch every single time that you come down the floor and yeah, I mean, I, I that that was the best that I felt with Leaky at point guard in a while. He had a couple games back in 2019 where you were like, okay, not bad. But when I saw that they were going to have him run point, I was like, here we go. This is gonna this could get very bad very quick. Let's talk about Armando Baycott. 24 points, 10 of 12 from the field. He did leave some points at the foul line, just four of nine from the charity strike. 12 rebounds, back-to-back double-doubles, back-to-back 20-point games for the first time in his Tar Heel career, add in six blocks. Uh, That's only the fourth time in the history of Carolina basketball a player has recorded 20 points, 10 rebounds, um, and six blocks in a a game. 
He was sensational. That yep. That was the Armando Baycott that we you you need to see that more often. There was more demanding of the ball where it was give me the ball. I'm going to go to work. They cannot guard me. And he did a lot of different things. Sometimes it was getting deep pope deep post position so he was able to turn around and elevate for two. But he took so he took some guys off the dribble last night as well where he just worked his way to the basket. And it was it was so it was so important. We're going to talk about Dawson Garcia struggling here in a little bit, but Carolina isn't getting all three of those guys playing at a high level just yet on the same night. You need at least two of the three. It's been Armando Baycott these last two games, and he looks he looks the part of a guy that can be a leader for a team that has goals of winning an ACC championship, and they're going to need him to be. I do believe he is this team's best player, not not the most talented player. I do think he is the team's best player. He's gotten in better shape. 35 minutes last night. I mean, and there was a time where Hubert Davis had to rest him, and I understood that. Right. But he, there was a... It was very noticeable that he wasn't on the floor. And, and But it was also, okay, you're going you're gonna to get a rest, but it's going to be two to three minutes. And you need to be ready to go. He's in much better shape. That's evident. And he just... He, he didn't carry Carolina to a victory. He willed them to a victory with that first half performance, allowing the other guys in the second half to elevate their game to get a comeback win. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of similar to what we've seen from, from Sam Howell on the football field in terms of just put the team on my back. I need to step up and be this all-conference player that everybody knew I was capable of being. That was easily his most dominant performance. And I look, he's had some other good performances in his career. I t- told you last night when they said that it was it was his career high, I said, what about that game against Oregon? This was the best all-around game because you could see that not only was he realizing, look, I've got to be dominant on the offensive end, he was realizing, I've got to do it on the defensive end too or we're not winning this game. Yeah. And he did it multiple times. Six blocks were huge. And he had a couple right at the basket because, again, this team this team cannot stop the ball to well, save their lives. The, the biggest thing, and I, and I tweeted this out, and guys, if you're not following me on Twitter, you need to go follow HTB Josh because I'm going to make you smarter. His ability to play freely. Good God. Without, because he only had one foul deep into the second half. Yeah, yeah. That's why he had six blocks. He's a very he. He is definitely one of the smarter bigs that Carolina has had in terms of the defensive end, and even when he gets aggressive on the offensive end, there were times like that. Loved, loved Bryce Johnson, one of my favorite players to play at Carolina, just because of the mindset and everything like that. There were times where he would get a little too amped and would take that offensive foul on the other end in games where he was playing well. Armando's just a smart, especially last night, when you had so many other dudes that were in foul trouble. You needed to be smart with how you were playing the game because if he had gotten into foul trouble, Carol, I mean, that would have been a disaster situation. And he did everything that he needed to do to keep himself on the floor so that he could be the guy on the offensive end where you didn't have Love and Davis to step up because at that point, I mean, you were looking to him and Brady Manick. Those were the two guys that had scored for you so far this year. And with Leaky running point, that wasn't a unit that you looked at and said outside of Armando Baycott, 
we're going to be able to score the ball. You were looking around and saying, well, if Armando ain't scoring, we're in trouble. And he took that in stride, and he looked like a, a leader that Carolina needed him to be at times last year, and he wasn't ready to be. Now he's ready to be that guy. The biggest reason why you're seeing the increased uh, efficiency at the rim, he's shooting 81% to start the season. That's somehow only 11th in the country among qualifying players, by the way. Like, yeah. my uh, God. He he has learned how to move defenders without it being an offensive foul. He's learned how to use his body, create space. He's gotten a lot. And I, this is the thing I harp on the most with Biggs. He's getting better at finishing through contact. There were times last night he just muscled up through two defenders. They weren't fouls. It was just really good defense, but he just, I'm bigger. I'm stronger. This ball is going to, I'm going to will the ball into the basket. Another guy who willed the ball into the basket, Kerwin Walton finally broke out last night. 14 points on five of eight shooting. But he was sensational in that second half. Nine points, three of three from the field. All three of those made baskets were behind the three-point line. And Carolina needed every single one of them. They were crucial threes. They Two of the three um, extended the lead from one point to four points when the game was still in balance. 28 minutes. And look, he, he got those minutes because he earned those minutes. Because Carolina's offense was playing at a high enough level to where he didn't have to be on the floor. You were getting enough contributions in that second half from Manic, from Caleb Love, and Armando Baycott. But he, he he picked his game up on the defensive end, and he, he showed the clutch shooting ability. And, and Carolina's going to need him to take those tough shots and be able to make those tough shots. That one he made to make it a nine-point game where he sidestepped the defender, stepped back, and still had to take a guarded three, and he buried it, that that was big time. I mean, this was the most confidence that he's shown so far this season, and that's, that's what you need him to be able to do. And I, I think that he, once again, sort of got back into – that role that we're used to him having. Now, he I mean, he looked. There were a couple times. He had the one play where he drove the basket and finished right at the rim. That, that was that was beautiful. That's what you want to see from him. That's sexy. But when he needed to step up and make threes, that looked like the Kerwin Walton that we saw at the end of last season where he knew, I've got to make plays for my team. They're relying on me to make these shots. And he knocked it down. And that that's what you want to see. And that's the thing that I think is so so encouraging about this team offensively is it seems like every night throughout these first three games there is somebody that hasn't hasn't been there in the other two games that has stepped up and played well and this was Kerwin's night and and you're going to see these throughout the year like look that that's why you can be comfortable with Leaky not giving you a ton is because you've got a guy like Kerwin Walton who can come off the bench. And last night, I think he was what I told you we need that Carolina needed him to be this year. He was the spark plug off the bench that gave them just enough to put them over the top. I think if Kerwin Walton comes out and let's say he goes one of six from three, I don't know that Carolina wins this game. He was he, they needed what he gave them last night from deep to be able to win this game, 
and and that's that's huge. I don't know if this is something that he's going to be able to do consistently because I think he's still getting adjusted to being that guy off the bench after being a starter last year. But in some of these big games like this, I can see him being the guy that steps up to the plate and says, look, I've, I've got to be able to make some of these tough outside shots. I'm going to make them. I think he's got to come off the bench simply because if you put him in the starting lineup, you're, and, and you don't move RJ or Caleb to the bench. Where are you getting scoring off the bench outside of whichever big doesn't start? No, I agree with you. You're not I, get, I, no doubt. You're not getting. I mean, Anthony Harris didn't even play last night. Yeah, his um, his role I think at this point is minimal. And I same and same thing with the freshman. Like, right, Carolina's only eight deep. So you you've got to balance having scoring in the front court, and, and I think you've you've got to start you've got to start loving Davis until they prove otherwise. And I, th- I think the front court will kind of fluctuate from game to game and night to night. So you're going to have one big coming off the bench that you can count on, and then you're going to have Kerwin Walton coming off the bench that you can count on. Justin McCoy, he's going to be a nice player. His offensive game is still a year or two away from being a legitimate contributor. Kerwin's best role, as much as we thought in the preseason he was going to start and maybe should start, as long as Leaky Black is holding his own on the, on the defensive end of the court, and he's not an off, and he's not killing you offensively, you need to bring Kerwin Walton off the bench. No uh, doubt, a big thing for Carolina in that second half. Not only did they get to the foul line, twenty-one foul uh, foul shots, but they made seventeen of them, and that was the biggest thing that I think we're seeing that's benefiting from the the change of philosophy with the open floor. Is whenever Carolina's guards love Davis. Walton last night, whoever it is, whenever they just say, I'm going to the basket, we and look, we haven't seen, and we're going to see a, uh, two great teams this weekend, but we haven't seen anyone be able to stop them. And there were times last night where Caleb Love just simply looked at his man, took him off the dribble, got to the basket, either drew contact and finished through it, or went to the foul line. And that's that's key. Carolina's offense is so efficient right now, I mean, they scored 94 points on 59 shots because they went to the foul line 32 times. It's I, I love the aggressiveness of getting to the foul line. Now, you've got to be better when you get there, but this is something that we were asking for, especially last year when you saw the types of players that Caleb Love and R.J. Davis were going to be. And to a certain extent, you, can't, you, you would have liked to see that from Cole Anthony at times. But it just, I, I don't know if it was, I think part of it was that you had the two bigs that were clogging up the lane a little bit. I think the other part of it is that they just didn't have that mindset. I think that is a Hubert mindset of, look, we, not, we don't want to do this. We need to do this if we want to be an efficient offense. We've got to drive the basket because, look, even if you don't finish at the rim, which there were plenty of times they did it last night, you're still getting fouled and you're still getting to the free throw line. And for the most part, everybody's doing their part at the free throw line. I mean, yeah, Armando struggled there, but even still, I mean, Caleb Love, 10 of 12. Last year probably wouldn't have been that efficient. Wasn't even that efficient coming into the game at the at the foul line. You're seeing... Uh, you know, that that that's the one thing. You know, we're going to talk about him here in a minute. Dawson Garcia can make free throws. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, that's what you've got to see from this. Keep that aggressive mindset going because that's going – those are – that that sometimes those are the easiest points to get on the board, especially if you're in an in some you know a, a snafu where you can't score. Getting to the free throw line and getting points there can help you break out of that. And 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 I think they've done such a great job with that this year, and I'm encouraged by that for sure. Yeah, I don't think that's going away. I think that. I'm not saying that it wasn't a Roy Williams staple because a lot of his best teams were aggressive at getting to the foul line. These last couple of years, though, it just wasn't a big part of their success when they ever when it when they had success. But now that floor has opened up. Even your bigs that you when you give them the ball, they can take their guys off the bounce, and it, it, it's really proven to be night and day for Carolina. You mentioned Dawson Garcia, another rough night at, at it for him last night. Three points. 0 of 1 from the field is only one shot was a three-pointer, a bad three-point shot at that, in my opinion. 3 of 4 from the free throw line, as you mentioned. Just one rebound and a turnover. Only got six minutes in that second half. And those six minutes really came because there was foul trouble at the time with Brady Manick. And it's something that I, I think it's, it's him still adjusting to the way Carolina wants to play and how they're wanting to, to utilize him. But Carolina needs more from him. Seven points. Um, I was reading second half stats. Seven points for the game. One of five from the field, but five of six from that foul line and eight rebounds in 19 minutes overall. The rebounding numbers make it okay, but he's got to score the ball, and he's got the biggest thing that I've I've had an issue is he's got to be stronger with the ball when he's getting put in isolation situations where to take his man off the bounce, and his shot. His shot decisions, he takes shots that are not in rhythm of the offense, that even if you make the shot, it's still not a good shot because it's not in the rhythm of the offense. Carolina's got to find a way to make him more fluid. And whenever he takes the shot, it's not him just forcing his own shot. Yeah, I mean, it's you look at him and Brady Manick, and you can tell that one is a senior and has played – a big role on his team for years, and you can see that one was a guy that was a true freshman last year and sort of came on as the season came to an end. Had a really good performance against Carolina. There, look, there are some really good things that he does. As I mentioned, when he gets to the when when he gets to the line, he's a, a good free throw shooter for you. And it's been a while since Carolina's really had a free throw shooter at the line that's that can consistently knock it down amongst big guys since Luke May. And even and, and then before that, it was I mean, it's been a while. So I, I he's he's definitely there are some raw aspects to his game. You he's he's a younger guy that I think is just trying to be a little too aggressive because he wants more playing time. I think that he thinks if he can put the ball in the basket, he will be able to get himself more playing time out there. And I'm I'm with you. Sometimes there are just some shots that leave you scratching your head. The most frustrating part for me was I said when they landed him as a transfer and from watching when he played at Marquette, remembering when Marquette came into Chapel Hill last year, I thought he was a guy that was really good with the basketball. He he could drive the lane against big guys and make plays. He he has not done that this year. He has turned the ball over way too many times. Last night, I mean, literally spun into a double team and turned the ball over. 
And that's something that you would expect from last year's Carolina team or 2019. That's not what you'd expect from the guys on this team. So, I mean, it's frustrating. But again, he's only a sophomore. I think what this shows is that remember the mindset that we had coming into the season and and a couple weeks ago when we were talking about recruiting? Uh, We need to make sure that you load up on the big guys because you never know if Dawson Garcia could go. You know Brady Manick's going to be gone and there's a chance Armando could go. I don't think Dawson Garcia is going anywhere. He's got a lot of growing still to do. But there are moments that you see from him on the offensive and defensive end that still make you say, okay, there's something there with this with this guy. Well, there's a reason he's on this roster. He's the most gifted big Carolina has in terms of just natural ability. He's, he's, he's the most gifted we have. So whenever it all comes together, good God, I'm, I'm going to come on here and be basketball horny for 60 minutes because he can do a lot of really good things. Right now, and I, I think it's the adjustment from the way that he played at Marquette where he was their guy. Everything that they did, and especially in the game we saw in Chapel Hill, went through him. He's not the guy at Carolina. He's, he doesn't have to be the guy he's either. He's a guy. And so it's learning It's learning how to play with those around you. Does Shebert Davis maybe need to draw some stuff up specifically for him just to get him involved in the game? Sure. But when push comes to shove, the decision-making has, hasn't been there, which is just a sign of a guy who's still learning, still adjusting, and it's something that it's why you, having Brady Manick is really key. Manick hasn't yeah. been the three-point shooter. We think he what, what, what he's going to be at some point this year, but he's been a consistent score last night, 17 points, 6 of 12 from the field, only 3 of 8 from 3, but he's proven he can score in other ways. He's got a back-to-the-basket game. He's got a face-up game. Nine rebounds last night. So as long as you're getting two two of your bigs to be contributors, I think Carolina's going to be okay. Also with Manic, that's a guy that Garcia, when he's on the bench, you want Dawson Garcia watching what Brady Manic is doing. And I think that Brady Manic is a guy that you can teach him a lot this season because that's what you ultimately want Dawson Garcia to be. Dawson Garcia is a guy that can knock down the outside shot, maybe not at the rate that Brady Manick did, but you want Dawson Garcia to develop into that guy that if you need him one possession to be on the block and make a play, he can do that. If you need him to stretch out and take a perimeter jump shot off of a screen, he can do that. that that's what you're wanting to see from Dawson Garcia. There's elements of that there in his game, but I think that I wonder – is there maybe a little bit of pressure that he's putting on himself being at Carolina, knowing that it's a step up from where he was at Marquette? I, I think there's just you, – you can see that there's there's some things that don't look quite as polished as they even looked at Marquette. So I think maybe that's a little bit of nerves. He's still trying to get used to fitting in with this system – um, I, I think that could definitely be part of it. But, yeah, at the same time, I, I think there's there's still so much to like about him. I mean, he played 19 minutes and had eight rebounds. So he was the most efficient guy on the glass for Carolina 
last night. That's the reason why there's no way he's not going to play. Oh, forward. God. He it, will play a significant role. He, Carolina can't afford to not play him. Right. You, you, you can't survive with just two bigs. So, one last thing from last night's game. This was a talking point that uh, you brought up in pre-production, so that's going to inflate your ego. All, 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 no, I'm not you. All summer, we talked about um, how we believe that R.J. Davis – was going to benefit the most from the coaching change. And I brought on Adam Lucas, and he literally said the exact same thing. I'm not saying that in the long run it's not going to still be R.J. Davis, but you can definitely see where Caleb Love is benefiting from him becoming your head coach. 22 points last night, 6 of 14 from the field, 10 of 12 from the foul line, all of those free throws attempts coming in the second half. Then I love this, 7 rebounds. Six assists. He did turn the ball over four times, but his impact. Everybody had a bad turnover night. His impact on the game in the second half is what you're wanting to see from him and what we're used to seeing from Carolina point guards where he took the game over. It became like it was Armando Baycott was your, your steady force, and you know you could go to him and get a bucket. But Caleb Love took the game over. He took. He made a tough uh, step-back two-point jump shot in the midst of Carolina overtaking the game. That was a really tough shot, and it was a really good shot for him to take. And he, you can tell in all three games, he looks more confident. He looks more fluid. The decision-making is still going to come as Carolina gets adjusted to the new system. I'm not ready to say that he's going to benefit more than R.J. Davis. I thought last night was just more of, R.J. Davis being able to read the room and say, hey, he's having a night. I'm going to go let him have the night because three nights ago it was R.J. Davis carrying you over Brown. But I think these two guys, have they've taken that next step we needed them to take. Yeah, and I think both guys are going to have those moments throughout the season. But Caleb Love is leading this team in points per game with 19 already this season. The thing I think that's most encouraging, though, he's shooting 44% from the field. And one of the biggest things that we talked about with him in the offseason was the shot selection has to be better for him because there were way too many shots that he took last year that just left you scratching your head. I don't remember him really taking a shot like that last night. There were a couple other guys that took shots like that. But for the most part, I mean, look, the step-back jumper that he made was one that I was like, last year, Caleb Love has me thinking, you probably shouldn't take that. But he made the shot, and now you're looking. And and then he made another one very similar to that later in the half as well. So, yeah, he's – you can definitely see the maturation. We knew it was going to happen, Not maybe not to this level early on, but we knew second-year point guards always take a major step at Carolina, and that's something that it's early, but that uh, that looks like more of a Carolina thing than just a Roy Williams thing. That's something that could carry over under Hubert Davis. But again, the thing that I think got him going is very similar to what we saw in the Loyola game. Once he started driving the basket and making some easy shots, that's when the rest of his game opened up. Well, he, he, he's got a lot of that Ty Lawson, Joel Berry, where he's best when he's playing downhill, and he should live at the foul line. I agree. He should I, average, 100%. He should average eight foul shots a game. Yeah, I mean, look, that that's he's done that in all three games so far this year. 
and I think that it is it, it's just helped him immensely because I think even when he gets it, you, when you see those shots going down at the foul line, it helps you in terms of when you're taking shots from the perimeter when you're driving the basket. But the thing, I mean, you saw it in the Loyola game in that second half. He really started to turn it on and say, look, I've got to get to the basket. And look, he was helped out. I mean, Brady Manick all night screening was fantastic. But he, that you could see that there was more of a mindset from him in the second half that I got to get to the hoop. And look, I either got to finish or I got to get to the free throw line. That's what's going to allow him to start getting his game going, even if he gets off to a slow start. Because this was the first time, even in the first two games of the season, he got off to a relatively solid start. It wasn't great, but he still was off to a pretty solid start. This was the first time this season where he had a start similar to some of the ones that we saw last year. And there were times last year where if he got off to a slow start, it was going to be a slow night for him. He wasn't going to be able to pick it up. It's just that it was. It is what it is. He's a freshman. In this game, you saw in that second half, he scored 18 of his 22 in that second half. He really turned it on and said, look, I've got to be this guy. And I think one thing that we didn't put in the takeaways here, one thing that really helped this team as well was his backcourt made R.J. Davis scoring six early on in that second half. He had a couple of really nice drives to the basket, and that really seemed to jumpstart this team in that second half because it, it would have been easy for you to come out and just let Charleston pick right up where they had left off. R.J. Davis made sure that didn't happen, and then Caleb Love came right in behind him and finished off the Cougars. Yep, Carolina erased a six-point halftime deficit. They took a brief 48-46 to lead. Charleston answered with the three. Carolina took a 50-49 to lead, and they never relinquished it on their way to a 94-83 win. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. But before we let you go, I want to get you guys over the website, peeltoughblog.com, where I had you covered for the pre and post of College of Charleston. Go back, read my recap a little bit more in depth on all the on, on the good and the bad from Carolina's win over Charleston this weekend. Carolina will be in Uncasville, Connecticut, Hall of Fame tip-off classic. We will preview the event, then a recap of the event. There will, there will not be individual game previews and recaps for this weekend. And then following that, we will take you uh, at, through Carolina's game against UNC Asheville next week. Football side of things, Carolina has Senior Day on Saturday. We'll be getting you ready for the game against Wofford. Anthony will have a preview and a recap and a stock report. But right now on the website, we've got news about Sam Howell's future in Carolina as he may or may not be back in Chapel Hill next season. Some recruiting stuff up there as well. So make sure you go to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, to get all that great football and basketball coverage. As for the podcast side of things, you know where to find us, Basketball Podcast Network. We host through Megaphone. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, every major podcasting platform. The Four Corners Podcast is there. Give it a like. Review me as the host. Review Anthony as the co-host. We do welcome your feedback, your suggestions, and your criticism. But most importantly, we do want you guys to subscribe. That way you get every podcast right there in your podcast library. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.
The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.